Even the most godly and spiritual Christians struggle with their flesh and sin. That's important to realize as you travel through life. Abounding Grace is next. This is amazing grace. We may start to wonder at times, am I the only one that struggles with the flesh? You might be surprised to find out even the Apostle Paul did. We all battle the flesh, and that battle will continue until we get to heaven. That comes to our attention today on Abounding Grace through a study in Romans 7. Pastor Ed Taylor is going through Romans one verse at a time. Join us for this very helpful message. So think about this for a second. In the struggle, in the battle, you're battling things, you've got these thoughts in your mind, these actions. Do you ever feel like you're the only one that goes through it? I mean, you look at your life and you're like, your conclusion is, hey, I mean, I am the stinkingest, rotten Christian. There, there, nobody else goes through these types of things because Christians aren't supposed to struggle, are they? And Christians aren't supposed to go through things, are they? But I'll tell you what, you're not the only one. That Christians all, you know, if we were to do a poll this morning, I won't do it, but let's say I did. I won't do it, but let's say I did, okay? If I said, okay, who struggles with the flesh and thinks that they're the stinkingest, rotten Christian sometimes? Hands will go up all over the place. You know that? They're just, some of you want to do it right now. That's me, that's me, that's me. And then the ones that didn't raise their hands, I would make you raise both of them because one, you didn't do it the first time, and the other ones for the time they're like, hey, I don't go through things. You do go through things. All throughout this room, if we put a poll up on the internet and said, do you ever struggle with the flesh? Do you ever have things flowing through your mind that you don't want? Do you ever get mad at your boss? Do you ever yell at your kids? Do you know that 99.999% of the answers would be yes. You are not alone in struggling with your flesh. You're not alone in battling for purity in your life. You're not alone in battling for holiness and a righteous life. The battle is alive and well in the church today, in that church, in this church, in that one over there, and that one all around the world. The battle is on and it's raging. All around this room today, if our hearts were bare open and put up on the screen, imagine what it would be like if you're, li you're weak right now. Like, okay, can you roll the tape for Joe, please? We'd like to see Joe's life. And Joe's like, no way, man. I don't know. I'm not Joe. I've changed my I've taken my middle name. I'm not Joe anymore. You would see wrestlings and strugglings and battles in Joe's life, in Mary's life, in life after life after life. Because there's a battle that's raging. The Christian has three enemies. You can jot them down. They're well known to us. The Christian battles against the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world system that we live in that's always prompting us and prodding us. Come to the world. Come to the world. I've got everything for you. Spend your time in the world. Spend your energy in this world. Come to me. And then there's the flesh that says, okay, okay, I want the world. Yes, I want that. I want those things. I'm not too concerned. And then the enemy's kind of like the puppet master, making all these things and moving all these things. and say, The world, 
the flesh, the devil, every believer faces constant spiritual battles. You know, the difference between everyone here in this room is not that some face battles and some don't. The only difference is to the degree and intensity in which you face them, because we all go through it. So let's change that for a second. Let's change the question around, okay? Because it's easy for us to say, well, of course, all Christians have battles, and Christians here, Christians there, no problem. Let's change the question then. How about if we ask the question this way? Okay, Ed, I struggle, my neighbor struggles, everybody around me struggles, but do you struggle, Pastor Ed? I mean, because I was told that when you walk, you're six inches off the ground. I mean, we never really see you behind the pulpit. Don't you float? I mean, when they turn the lights down, isn't that you glowing, you know? Is that a halo I see around your head? No, 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 it's the light shining off my head. That's what you're seeing. Do you struggle, Pastor Ed? Does the leadership of the church struggle? Does Jeff Johnson, does, do, do these, do they struggle? Let me say, yes. Absolutely. Don't think for a moment. Oh, Pastor Ed never struggles. His house, his house is like heaven, man. That's what it is. He never yells at his kids. And the angels are playing harps when he comes home. And I mean, it is like heaven. No, it's not. I struggle just like you do. The flesh, the world. The devil, they're all our enemies. Let me tell you something. In chapter 7 of Romans, you know what we learn? Even Paul the apostle struggled with his flesh. Even Paul struggled. Remember back in verse 1 of chapter 7? Paul opens up Romans chapter 7, and he turns to those that knew the law, to his brothers. By way of extension and by way of application, we too know the law. We know the word. And so chapter 7 can be addressed to us. And by the way, if you're new here today, or you've only been here a week or two, when we study through the Bible, we study through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so although we take chunks at a time, there is a context and there's a free-flowing stream that we're going through in the book of Romans. And so we've already spent a couple weeks in the first few sections of chapter 7. If you weren't here for them, you can purchase the CDs downstairs. You can grab the studies free off the web, but you want to catch up with us. We've been through, this is our 36th study in Romans. And so we're, there's a lot of context to this wonderful gospel of grace. But for chapter 7, he says in verse 1, Oh, don't you know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. And then he begins to teach us how we have become dead to the law and alive to Jesus Christ. He now lives in us by the power of his Holy Spirit, and he is alive working among us. And then we learn that the law really can't deliver us from sin, that there's still a battle going on with sin, but it's not the law's problem. In verse 12 he said, Therefore the law is holy and just, the commandment holy, just, and good. And so the good news of Jesus Christ, this wonderful message of grace, could have easily confused those that thought that to make the people think, to make folks think that the law is worthless. It's not. The law is very valuable. It's holy, it's just, and it's good. The law is not sin. No, the law is the epitome of perfection. When we look at the law, we see perfectness. Now, the law can't change you. The law can't save you. All the law does is point out flaws. The law says, do this and live. And what is our response? I can't. And because we respond, I can't, Jesus says, well, I can. You come unto me by faith, and I'll empower you to live the life that pleases the Father. What the law has done is shown me my weakness and my own sinfulness. 
And it was coveting, remember, in the heart of Paul that the law revealed. Nobody else could see coveting, and for a long season, Paul himself couldn't see his own coveting heart. But when the law was open, what did the law say? Paul, you have a problem with coveting in your heart. And that's where we pick up in verse 13. Notice chapter 7. Has then what is good, speaking of the law, become death to me? Certainly not, but sin. You might want to mark those words, but sin. You really don't want those words in your life. Do you realize that? You don't want to be trucking along, living for the Lord, and just enjoying the things of the Lord, and then, but sin. And this is speaking to those of you right now that might be preparing and planning to sin this week. You go, oh, does that happen? Oh, sure it does. There's a lot of wrestling going on, and should I do this? Should I shave on my time clock, my time card this week? Should, uh, it's really getting close to the tax season, isn't it? And should I change this number? And should I claim this? And, and you know, it's really a gray area, but, but the Lord's revealed that whatever is not of faith is of sin. And so if you go through sin, but sin, let me tell you something. Sin will devastate you every time. Compromise will only lead to what? More compromise. Compromise will only lead you to a place where you're going to continue to compromise. You're going to continue to live for this world. The world's going to get you. You're not going to care about spiritual things anymore. And before you know it, but sin has devastated so many lives before us. Notice, so Paul says this. He says, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me. That's all that sin does. You realize that? It only produces death. There are no shortcuts. So, well, I'll just take this little shortcut, but sin... Well, I'll just go in this little gray area. But sin, it produces death. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Mark that. We'll get back to that in a moment. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I mean, when you look at Paul's life, the struggle begins when he is transitioning from a legal relationship with God to a relationship based on grace. And I believe in Paul's life, the law continually dogged him. It continually followed him. In all of his training, in all of his schooling, he loved the law. The law was holy, it was just, and it was good. And yet, the law was used by many then, even as many now, to be the mechanism that they choose to be right with God. And you know, God never intended that to be. He desires not religion from us, but relationship. I love what he says at the end of verse 13. Go back there. He says that sin might become exceedingly sinful. What a great attitude to have. That sin might become in our lives exceedingly sinful. So this little step before you, this little compromise, this little turn, this little shaving of the truth, this little lie, this little gossip, this little backbiting, listen, it's exceedingly sinful. So it's not just a little bit. We, we've done really well with categorizing sin, right? We got a little one, we got white lies, green lies, blue lies. We got all kinds of reasons of what things are. But listen, sin is exceedingly sinful every single time. Do you know that Achan, you can jot it down in Joshua, first couple chapters we learn of a man by a name of Achan. If Achan would have had this attitude that sin was exceedingly sinful, he wouldn't have destroyed his life and his family's life. It's homework. Go home today and read through Joshua the first few chapters. Because Achan knew the word of the Lord. He knew what God said. He heard what his leader had said. Don't take anything. Spare nothing. But in his mind, I'm sure he began to think, if we were getting a glimpse into Achan's mind, I wonder if we would hear, oh, what's a little garment? What's a little jewelry? 
I mean, come on, isn't that a little harsh, Joshua? Don't you think, God, that's a little too much? I mean, why can we not touch anything? And in his mind, he did touch it, and he did take it. And do you know that he knew it was wrong? We learn that because he hid it. All along, he knew it was wrong, but he didn't believe it was exceedingly sinful. You know, I think from Joshua, we jump into the New Testament in the early church. The early church is exploding. It's taking off. Amazing things are happening. 3,000 people get saved. There's an excitement. There's a stir around Jerusalem. Jesus Christ has risen again. He's ascended into heaven. He sent the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we are sharing the gospel with power and confidence. And then there was Ananias and Sapphira. Remember them? They get caught up in all the hoopla. And they come to the apostles, they come to Peter and say, here, we have sold our possessions, we're giving all to the church. All to you guys. There was only one problem, wasn't there? Remember what Peter said? What must have happened in that place where he looks at them and he says, why have you chosen to lie to the Holy Spirit? They hadn't given everything. They could have come and it would have been just as much of a blessing to say, here, we give this unto the Lord. They didn't have to lie. They didn't have to pretend but they did. And you remember the judgment? They dropped dead right there, carried them out. You know, a lot of people want to go back to the holiness and the purity of the early church. I hear that a lot. Oh, I wish we were an Acts church. All right, if you want it. <laughs> no, God's good, isn't he? He's graciousness. He gives us these stories to warn us because he still desires the same purity and holiness. Maybe it's not dropping dead right here in front of the stage. Maybe it's a death to a dream because of your sin. Maybe it's death to a relationship. Maybe you're disconnected from God this morning because you're experiencing that separation that comes because sin, let me tell you, is always exceedingly sinful. No matter what the sin is, no matter what degree you find yourself in, it's always exceedingly sinful. I think of Isaiah. I asked you to open Isaiah chapter 6. Would you look there with me? I think of him when we look at the first few chapters of Isaiah. He's so heavy. Heavy because God desires him to be heavy. Chapter 1, alas, O nation. Chapter 2, judgment is coming, O nation. Chapter after chapter after chapter. Chapter 1, strong words. Chapter 2, strong words. Chapter 3, 4, 5. And then we come to chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Can you imagine what that looked like? Can you imagine what that was like? To think of seeing the glory of God in the heavenly realm. It wasn't just that, but notice he sees these angels. Verse 2, above it stood the seraphim, each one having six wings, and with two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. What a scene! The heavenly realm, one of the few glimpses we get in the scriptures of heaven, and it's God filling the whole entirety with his glory, the angels enjoying it. And notice they're crying out, verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And then I said, chapter 1, woe are you. Chapter 2, woe is you. Chapter 3, woe is you. But when Isaiah sees the glory of God, what does it say? Woe is me. Woe is me. For I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I don't think Isaiah is talking about being a person that cusses or has words come out. I think he says, in the essence of who he is, oh, in the presence of God, I have great need. I mean, it's woe is me. I know the message you've given me, God. I know what I'm supposed to tell the nation. I know what I'm supposed to share. But now that I see you high and lifted up, woe is me. I'm the one that's undone. I'm the one that's unclean. I need you, Lord. I need your presence in my life. And isn't God so gracious in verse 6? I love this. You know, God doesn't reveal things. We read in the psalm today, Psalm 19, about revealing things in our hearts. Psalm 139, Lord, search me and know me. God doesn't reveal things in your life so that he might crush you and condemn you and beat you up over it. No, very graciously, notice what he does in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar, and he touched my mouth with it. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Mark that. Your iniquity is taken away, church, in Jesus Christ. Your sin has been purged. Just like Isaiah experiencing this touch of heaven, by faith in Jesus Christ, that same touch is yours today, that your iniquity has been removed, your sin has been purged. You're clean before the Lord Jesus Christ today. You're forgiven. Oh, as we cry out to have things revealed in our lives, indeed a true glimpse of God will reveal all sorts of things. And we want that heavenly glimpse even in this room. Do you know this room is just an empty shell when you're not here? It's just a bunch of chairs and carpet. But it comes alive when you show up. The church of Jesus Christ showing up to a room to gather together to worship. And in the midst of the church showing up, the church arriving, all of you guys coming in today, the presence of the Lord, he begins to move among us. Where you sense his life living in you. Those of you that are seeking encouragement, the Holy Spirit encourages you. Those of you that are experiencing grief, the Holy Spirit comes to comfort you. Those of you that are living in a lifestyle that's harming you and hurting you, the Holy Spirit comes and says, listen, don't go that way. Don't do that. I love you too much. I want to send an angel with a tongue, with a coal to burn away and purge away those things in your life. Oh, Isaiah. Same for him as it is for us. In the presence of the Lord, Isaiah realized what came out of his lips and what was in his heart was filthy. And the Lord was so good to touch those lips. Back in Romans chapter 7, Paul's in the same place. In this section, the end of chapter 7, he pauses. And we get a glimpse into the life of Paul. He says, remember in verse 14, that I'm a carnal man. Don't let that word throw you. If you're taking notes, jot these down. The Bible speaks about three different types of men and women in the Bible. The first one, number one, if you're taking notes, the natural man. The Bible speaks of the natural man. This is the unbeliever. The person who has no spiritual life in them. The natural man, the natural woman. No desire for the things of God. No understanding of the Bible. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, you can jot it down, speaks of the natural man being dead in his trespasses and sins. The natural man. The second type of person the Bible mentions is the spiritual man. This is the believer. This is the person that's indwelt by and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. Now the Bible's come alive. Fellowship and worship is something you desire. The songs now have meaning. You can actually understand because the Holy Spirit is teaching you his word. The spiritual man. Do you know there's a third type of person in the scriptures? And this is the person described as the carnal man. The carnal man. This is the person that is born again but living in the energy of his flesh. You want a definition for the word flesh? When you see it show up in the New Testament, you could jot this down. You're living by your old sinful habit patterns or 
by a few new sinful habit patterns, but anything that's apart from the leading of Jesus Christ. Let me show you what the spiritual man looks like. Would you flip over with me to Proverbs chapter 3? One of my favorite verses, you know, you'll sometimes you ask, uh, what's your favorite life verse, Ed? Oh, I have a few of them. This is one of them. Let me show you first by way of what the carnal man is by showing you what the spiritual man looks like. This is what the spiritual man looks like. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. And by looking at the spiritual man, then we'll flip over and then look at the opposite of what the spiritual man is, and that'll show you. Because we think of a carnal person, sometimes we only think of a carnal person as someone that's living for his flesh. It's like just going out, you know, and like Paul here. If he says he's a carnal man, don't get in your mind that he's out partying, right, in some Jerusalem disco. That's not what he's talking about here. That he's hiding a bottle of tequila while he's writing the New Testament. That's not what he's talking about here. That, that he's screaming and yelling and, and he's just absolutely outliving for his flesh in the world. That's not what he means when he says he's a carnal man. Notice chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. That's the spiritual man. The one that's trusting in the Lord with all their heart. The one that's not leaning on their own understanding. The, the one that is seeking to obey God, acknowledging him in all his ways. The one that's not wise or self-centered in their own eyes. The one that is departing from evil and loving God. That's the spiritual man. But if you took that, the carnal man, the one that's not, it's not just living for their flesh, but living in the flesh, in the energy of the flesh. Well, listen, the carnal man doesn't trust in the Lord with all their heart. No, they trust the Lord sometimes. Oh, the carnal woman, she, she doesn't lean on the Lord's understanding. She leans on her own understanding. This is Abounding Grace, and you're listening to a message from pastor and Bible teacher Ed Taylor. It's part of our series in Romans. Simply go online to hear it again at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're at AboundingGraceRadio.com. More and more people these days are accessing our teachings through our app. Not only is it super convenient, but it's easy, too. You can download that right now. Search for Calvary Aurora and start listening to Pastor Ed through your mobile devices. Pastor Ed, some of our listeners may not know that we have a podcast called Lead to Serve, and season two is available to them right now, right? So thanks, Larry, for talking, asking us about the Lead to Serve podcast. That, that's a podcast that I host. Uh, we finished season one a few months ago, and it is so pop. It's more popular than I ever thought. And I, I've had emails and feedback of people, when are you going to start season two? Well, season two is out, and we want to let you know about it. You can get it in anywhere that you get your podcast. It's on all the popular platforms. It's called Lead to Serve, and it's a podcast that I host. Um, I teach on leadership principles, primarily within the context of serving and ministry, but, but it's applicable to every area of life. And I interview people, we talk about things, and it's super, super practical. It's the podcast where it's like you're sitting across the table from me, and we're talking about and answering questions that are on your heart so that you and I can be better servants, because this is what the, I believe what the Bible teaches. If you want to be the greatest, you need to be the servant of all. And I want to equip you and help you 
So download, subscribe, and if you're already a listener to the podcast, would you head over and leave a review, a positive review, because those positive reviews help within the algorithm of where the podcast is. So lead to serve. It's L-E-A-D, the number two, serve, all one word. Or you could put in the words Ed Taylor and lead to serve will pop up. Subscribe. Let it be delivered. We're going to we're in season two and it's very exciting. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about lead to serve. Uh, it's a podcast that I think and I know will bless you and encourage you. God bless you guys. Again, that's lead to serve. Season two is available to you now. Check it out and don't forget to leave a review. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of A Love Letter Life by Jeremy and Audrey Broloff. In it, they share insights from their own journey toward marriage and encourage the reader to stop settling for convenient relationships. They offer perspective on male and female differences in dating and take on topics like purity, give some rules for fighting well, as well as some advice on how to pursue a love story that won't end. That's A Love Letter Life. Yours today for a gift of $25 or more. Call 877-30-GRACE and we'll rush a copy your way. Your generosity helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us to make that possible. Call 877-30-GRACE. Then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.